Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. Your, we ask you to guide, lead us, show us what you want us to see from this. Let your Holy Spirit reign, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. John chapter 9, uh, up to, we're going to be starting at verse 24. Jesus had healed the blind man uh, on the Sabbath day, <clears throat> uh, told the man to take up his bed and, wa- and walk, and the people got upset with him, and then they called the man in, and they questioned him. They didn't believe that he was blind. They called his parents in, and his parents basically said, we don't want to get involved with this. He's of age. Go talk to him. <laughs> and that's where we left it off uh, uh, last week. Uh, so chapter 9, verse 24. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise, for we know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do? What did he to you? How opened he your eyes? And he answered, I have already told you, he, and you, you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? So we're going to stop there for just a moment. So the scribes and the uh, priests brought him back in. They've been trying to figure out what's going on. They're looking for some reason to get after Jesus primarily. All right. Uh, they've been questioning him. And so they bring him in after talking to his parents, and his parents say, we're not getting involved. Uh, and it said a very interesting note that they had already decided anybody that was on Jesus' side would be kicked out of the synagogue, all right? For us, it would be kicked out of the church. You're not allowed to come back to church, all right, if you decide you wanted to go with Jesus. And then they told him, when they called him back, it says, give God the praise, for we know that this man is a sinner. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing because Jesus would have said, give God the praise too. So, I mean, that's the right statement. Give God praise. And this really should be our goal anytime something good happens to us is to give God praise. And I'll even go far, further than that because Paul said, in everything, give thanks. So even if bad things seem to be happening to us, we should give God praise. Why? Because all things work together for good and God's got a good reason for it. Even when we don't know it, we should give God the praise. So their first half of that statement is a good statement. Give God the praise. You, you, are, you are now able to see, praise God. And then they said, but the second part was, for we know that this man is a sinner. Now that part is not right. They are condemning Jesus in front of this man. And this man doesn't know Jesus. Remember, he, he was blind. All he knows is that this man came up to him, put some mud in his eyes, told him to go wash. And now he can see might recognize his voice because he's been blind, so he might recognize the voice that talks to him. But if he was sitting right across from Jesus, he would not know who Jesus was until Jesus spoke. All right? And they're saying, we know that this man is a sinner. And the, the blind man has a very good answer. He goes, whether he be a sinner or not, I do, I do not know. He goes, but this I know. Whereas once I was blind, but now I see. I don't know anything about the man who did this. You're calling him a sinner. I don't know if he's a sinner, but this I know. I was blind, now I see. And this is the very interesting thing for us. How complicated do we make our testimonies most of the time? Now, got to say all the right words in the right order and the right way. We just need to tell people, I don't know all that stuff, but this I know. 
Once I was a lost sinner headed for hell in miserable states. Now I am Jesus's and I'm going to heaven. That's all it needs to be. We don't see the need to argue people and debate with people. Now it doesn't hurt to get some knowledge and be able to explain things to them. But we've got to be very careful that we don't get so wrapped up in all the details and all the knowledge and try to convince them. Because there's nothing is going to convince somebody to follow Christ until the Holy Spirit convinces them. All right? We can put together all kinds of arguments. We can sound good. But if you argue somebody into a decision for Christ, somebody else is going to come along and argue all the reasons why they were duped. You know, unless, they made, unless it's a real decision that they make. And I've seen this happen more than once where you answer all the questions, give them all the an- answers, and they're right on the edge of following Christ, and then somebody comes along, and while well, you're not there to defend anything they say and totally ter- twist everything you say and, and walk them around, walk them away. Keep it simple. Tell people what God has done for you. You know, we are sinners. We are destined for hell because of our sins. Jesus had to come to die for our sins so that we could be able to go to heaven and be with the Father. Plain and simple. Now, a lot of people don't like it to be that plain and simple. You know, there's a lot of people who, you know, especially those who feel like they're more intellectual, they're going to try to fight this over, you know, argue this and give you, and you have to sit there and, you know, they feel they have to have all the facts or they're not going to make a decision. The only problem with that is for by grace and by faith are we saved. All right. Ultimately, any decision for Christ boils down to an act of faith. We can take people right up to the edge. We can get them almost convinced, almost proven. But until they're ready to take a step of faith and say, I am going to make my commitment to God, nothing's going to happen. Because you'll never be able to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt or beyond doubt that the truth of the gospel is there until you get to know God and he comes in and all of a sudden everything becomes real and, and true and everything all of a sudden starts to make sense. But before that, there is no proof. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the things unseen. And so we do not fully get there. This blind man says one thing. I don't, I don't know if he was a sinner or not, but this I know. I was blind and now I see. And he's the one that did it. You know, you may say he's a sinner, you may say all of this, but all I know is I can see. And I used to be blind. And that should be our story. When I, when I give my testimony, you know, just the simple testimony, it is very simple. I was 10 years old, I realized that I was a sinner that, that deserved hell and I commit, and turned my life over to Christ. Plain and simple. By faith, as a little child, we make our decision. It just says, I am going to trust God. No matter what, I'm just going to trust God. And then we start seeing and putting everything together, and then we learn more and more about it and can defend what we believe in in greater and greater levels. But the simplicity of it is, once I was lost, now I'm saved. Once I was blind to spiritual things, now I see spiritual things. So we can say the same thing he says. Once I was blind, but now I see. 
And you hear it all the time when people will tell you, well, before I got saved, I used to read the Bible and they were just a bunch of words on the paper that were so confusing, I didn't understand anything. Then I got saved. And all of a sudden, 24 hours later, <laughs> three minutes later after I got saved, everything is making sense. Not fully understanding, but it makes sense. And this is what he's saying. Once I was blind, now I see. We need to keep our testimonies that simple with people. What has God done for us? What has he done for you? And keep it that simple. Now, I love it that when I got saved, God did one great thing for me. He took away my temper. That was a big deal for somebody my age who was, you know, was a mean and nasty to everybody. And they've done many more changes since then. There are people that cl God cleans their language up as soon as they get saved or takes, their, takes away their you know, alcohol or drugs or, or whatever, takes it away. Sometimes it's slower. Sometimes it's instantaneous. Sometimes people just are walking with God and all of a sudden they realize, I'm not doing the things that I used to do. And I've noticed that a lot of times in my life. I'm going along and realizing, oh, I used to really like doing that. Now I don't do it anymore and I don't even miss it. The simplicity of our testimony. This man's testimony is really simple. I was blind, now I see. You can, tell what, you can tell me anything you want about this man, but I know that he is the one that said, go wash and get your sight. And so this is, this is his statement. And his next statement then, uh, or their next statement, then they said unto him, what did he do to you? How opened you his eyes? He's already gone through this. Have you ever seen somebody who's just not wanting to believe something and they keep asking you the same questions over and over and over again? What are they hoping for? You're going to change, your, change what you say. Well, see, I knew you were lying because now you're not saying the same thing you said before. Over and over again, they'll keep asking you the same questions. One of the things I have learned over the years, because I like answering questions, I like trying to help people see through things, but if you keep asking me the same questions without listening, eventually I'm going to tell them, no, I'm not, I'm not even worrying about dealing with it. Why? You know what? There are millions and millions and millions and millions, if not billions of people that are lost. I don't have to sit there and argue with one person and waste all my time talking to one person who's not going to accept truth when there's many more people that need to be talked to. When I was soul winning, we would do the same thing. You know, somebody's not interested. <laughs> well, let's see. You know, where I used to soul win, there used to be lots of people. When we tried to do it around here, there wasn't a whole lot of people, so you had to pretty much talk to whoever was available. But I used to go to cities where there were hundreds of people all around you, if not thousands of people. So this one didn't want to talk to you. Just go down a couple steps and you're talking to somebody else. Don't waste your time. If somebody is not interested at all, give them the gospel and move on. Because our job is not to convince somebody to get saved. Our job is to plant the seeds. Maybe we're the waterer of the seed. Maybe we're the fortunate one who gets to actually harvest the seed <laughs> on a rare occasion. But it is never a waste of time to tell people the simple gospel. And it's the same gospel I say all the time. We're lost sinners, we're, we deserve hell, Jesus died for our sins, we need to make him our Lord and Savior. Pretty simple. We just give that gospel message out. And God is responsible for what happens on the heart that it falls on. And it's wonderful when you can be the one that gets to pray with them and, and, and walk them into the family.
doesn't happen as much as I would like, at least for me, but I plant lots of seeds. Lots of seeds all over the place have been planted. And the good news for it is Paul said, you know, he said, you know, I planted, uh, Apollos planted, I watered, and, and Peter <laughs> harvested, or whatever the names he put in, but everybody who's part of that chain of somebody getting saved gets equal credit in, in heaven, all right? Uh, it's not, well, I'm the one that brought him to the Lord. I get all the credit. No, the one who planted the seed, the ones that watered the seed, get credit for it as well. And this is something for us to understand because even in the military, the military understand this real well. You can get ribbons for, never, for, for a combat that you never actively participated in if you were in the supply chain, you, you, you put the plan together, you, you, know, you flew the plane that took it there, you know, whatever it might be. Everybody who's involved with it, every department that's involved with it, every division and, and everything gets the reward for having done it. Which are why these generals end up with a whole chest of medals because most of them have never been anywhere but they did a lot of planning. All right? So they get this whole chest of medals. Every time they plan something, they get a ribbon for that, for that activity. All right? Uh, which is why when you see them, they got this you know, <laughs> huge, huge thing in there. And you know, you know, boy, this guy's been in a lot of battles. No, most of them have not been in a lot of battles. They just happen to be at the right place. Now, they get some you know, when they were younger where they're actual ribbons where they might have fought. <laughs> but most of them are just, I planned this. And they get the, re- get the reward. But the same thing that God does with us. We plant, and God says, you put the seed there. This other one watered, this other one watered, this other one watered, and then this person gets the privilege of actually praying with them. The other side of that coin is, do not get jealous if somebody else gets to be the one that leads that person to the Lord. (laughs) I've seen that. I was very fortunate. God gave me the desire of my heart. I wanted to pray with all of my kids to, to accept, you know, for them to accept Christ. And I would have been very upset, well, I shouldn't say upset, but disappointed if anybody else had had that privilege of praying with them in the Sunday school or junior church or something. I'd have been happy for them, but I would have been disappointed that I didn't get to participate. And in my case, it was very fortunate. Now, I've having worked in Sunday schools all my life, all my younger days, and I led lots of kids to the Lord. Lots of kids to the Lord over those years. And I'm sure their parents did the watering and the, and the planting and you know, others did it, but it was a wonderful experience but I always, because I was just jealous of that, I wanted my kids, I wanted them to be the one that prayed with them. And, you know, but I've also had people that have gotten upset with me because I prayed, you know, led somebody to the Lord. I planted all these seeds with this person and you got to pray with them. I'm going, you still get credit. God's still giving you the credit for having planted and watered and, and all of that. So just on the flip side, don't ever get jealous. Just praise God that they finally got saved that somebody was the one that brought the word at the right time to get them saved and just praise God that they get saved. And I would have done that with my kids. I would have been happy that they got saved, even if it was with a Sunday school teacher or junior church or whatever. But in my case, it was very fortunate because I was the one that got to do it, and that's what I, that was the desire of my heart, and God honored that, that heart desire for me. But this man is, you know, he said, you know, they go, well, tell us exactly what he did. And his answer is pretty bold when he's standing in front of the chief priest and the scribes. He goes, I have already told you and you did not hear. You know, basically he's saying, weren't you listening? I've already told you, didn't, didn't you hear what I had said? They're trying to trip him up, get him to say something different, try to get him to, to you know, 
they're, they're lawyers, they're trying to get him to say something different and, and mess up his story. And then uh, I love what he's, will you also be his disciples? Now, I don't know if he really understood what he was saying when he said this to them. Because they're adamantly opposed to Jesus. He's going, oh, you want to hear this again? Do you really want to be one of his disciples as well? Implication, I've already decided I'm following him. I don't know who he is. I don't know where he is. But, you know, uh, but as soon as I find him, I'm his disciple. I think he was already getting ready to say, I'm going to find this guy. I'm going to figure out who he is. I'm going to talk to people. I, I am going to follow him because I was blind. Now I see. I want to I follow this guy that gave me sight. These guys are saying he's a sinner. I don't care that he's a sinner because I have my sight. All right? And they said it earlier, earlier on last time that, you know, no sinner has ever healed somebody is what he basically boiled down to. No, one, no one's ever given sight. And now you're telling me he's a sinner? I don't believe this. People accuse Jesus of all kinds of atrocities. And people will do it all the time. Well, everything's done in the name of Jesus. You know, the, the, you killed m millions of, of Jews under Hitler's name in the name of Christ. You killed many, many of these people in the name of Jesus. You did this in the name of Jesus. You did this in the name of Jesus. Just because people use the name of Jesus does not mean that it was Jesus, what Jesus desired. Christianity, when followed correctly, loves people, cares for people, and does not do violence. Now, it's easy to want to do violence. Believe me, I can understand that. When you're being abused and you're being pressed, back, pressed on and you're being persecuted, it is easy to want to do violence back. This was the problem with Martin Luther King when he was there. He said, we're not going to be violent. We're going to show the love of Christ to these people. Many in his organization wanted to fight. They're firebombing us. We need to firebomb them. They're, they're beating us. We need to beat them. And there was a huge rift in there before, and he held it together because of prayer and, and God's grace. But when he, once he was assassinated, it all fell apart. And he had the group that was trying to follow him and the group that said the only way we're ever going get to our, get our freedom is to make them give us our freedom. We need to be very careful. Christianity changed the world not through violence and attack, but by loving people, loving individuals, going where nobody else would go. The Christians would go into towns where the plague and other diseases were ravaging the people and minister to them. When everybody else is leaving because we're gonna, we can't be around this, we'll just let them die because that's what they deserve. And the Christians would go in, minister to them, show them God's love and, and try to get as many of them saved as possible. They would go out by the rivers where the Romans would throw their babies into the, into the river, sacrifices to the river gods, fish them up out of, the, out of them, and then raise those children in, in godly manner. They would go out to people that were sick and help them. Christianity changed the world as it was known during the Roman days. Caring for the sick, caring for the, the uh, orphans, ca caring for everybody who had no reason to be cared for. Because in the Roman days, if you weren't strong enough to live, they figured you deserved to die. And that was the way it was in the Greek and the Syrians and the Persians. And, and what's really bad is we keep getting told in our world that we are a post-Christian world. You know, and I understand what they're saying, but what I would say is we are going back to a pre-Christian world. We are going back to what has always been done before Christ and Christianity changed the world.
And this is what we have. And the only way we can fight that is to go back to what they did in the first place and purposely minister to all the people that the world thinks is worthless. And that means loving people that don't deserve to be loved. Showing grace. Showing mercy. Reaching out to those who can never give us anything back in return and helping them out as best we can. Now, it's not easy and it's hard, but it is what we need to do. We as a church and all churches need to be able to teach these young people that don't know what it means to be a parent how to be a parent. How to care for their children the way a father and mother should care for them. Teaching husbands and wives how to love each other and do marriage the way God says to do it. Reaching out to the poor and trying to teach them, not just by feeding them and all of that, but teaching them how to handle what little money they do have. Because this is what's important, because we live in a world that says, spend yourself into oblivion. You don't have it, go get it. borrow, Borrow to the hilt and then declare bankruptcy and start all over again. And that's the way this world thinks. We're in a world that doesn't know what it means to work for a living. If they don't like what's going on in their work, they quit. And then wonder why they don't, can't pay their bills. Because they're being trained that if you're not 100% satisfied, quit. There's no desire to work as unto the Lord, to do, hard, to do the hard things. And we're in this completely... This man is saying, I want to be his disciple. I don't, you're saying he's bad, but I'm, I, do you want to be his disciple too? Are, we, are you going to come with me and find him so we can all be his disciples? You know, and remember that the, the disciple is not just the 12 apostles, the disciples. A, a disciple is one who follows a way of thinking. So then this man, even though he didn't know who Jesus was or anything correct, that he knew because Jesus had healed him that Jesus was some kind of... <laughs> He knew that he had been healed, so whether he, what he knew or what he didn't know, this man gave me sight. I don't know, I don't know anything about him, but I'm going to follow him because he's got power. He's got power, yeah. And being a Jew, he understood that only people that are following God could have the power to heal. So in his mind, there's no way that this man can be a sinner. This man healed me probably figuring through the power of God. So I am going to follow this man who has power because he is following God close enough to have power to heal. Now, how much he knows, we don't know. All we know is, I was blind, now I see, I'm going to follow him. Did he understand who he was? We're going to see later on in this chapter. He didn't seem to really know who it was that had done this. But couldn't the Holy Spirit be working him too? Any number of things in there. But if if you've been blind since birth and all of a sudden you can see... You don't want to follow that person. This person has some kind of power. I'm going to find out what he, what he does and what he knows. I'm going to be his disciple and follow him. This is why John the Baptist grew, pulled such a multitude in, because he was bold. He was tenacious with God. He was willing to speak for God. One of the problems with Christianity in our day and age is that it is wimpy. There is nothing that people want from our Christianity anymore. All they see is a bunch of people who have no power and no, no backbone. And that's sad. That's why a lot of men aren't drawn toward Christianity when in the early days there were men that were involved with Christianity because it cost everything. It cost you your life. It cost you your reputation. And you had to stand firm and say, I am going to stand for God. I am, 
I don't want to say looking forward to, but I understand that as we get more and more persecution, there'll be more and more standing that says, are you ready to stand? Are you ready to fight to stand for God? Because this is what's important. We do not need a wimpy Christianity that we have. Because we do have a pretty wimpy Christianity. As soon as somebody's given a hard time, they go, well, I don't know if I want to do this. I'm going to hide. I might lose my job. I might lose my reputation. I can't stand for God. Well, that's not much good then. If you don't have something that is willing to stand and fight for, you really have nothing. You know, and so I'm not talking about physical fighting, but you know, I want to take this to, let's go to the athletics side of things. There are people that are so strong for their team that they follow that they boldly wear their team colors into the opposing team's stadium knowing that they're going to be abused and attacked. And I've seen this. I went to games in Baltimore, and Baltimore was a terrible place to go with somebody else's colors. Because you would have things thrown at you, you'd be spit on, you'd have drinks accidentally dropped on you on purpose. It was a terrible place to be somebody, but people would still come to support their team, knowing what was going to happen. Can we do something like that for Christ? Going into the middle of the lion's den, figuratively, and say, I am a Christian. This is what God says. And I don't care what you're going to say or do. Now, that doesn't mean be stupid about what, you're, what you say and everything, but it does mean take a stance. I, quite frequently at work, I am not going to open up a discussion about God, but I take advantage of every discussion that is opened up about God. We need to understand this is where we're at. Are we ready to stand for God no matter what? Or are we going to back down because people are going to think we're weird and that we're strange? We are. <laughs> if they think we're weird and strange, they're just agreeing with God that we are strange to this world. We are not of this world. We are of heaven because we have Jesus Christ in our heart. So when we're in this world, we are going to be considered by the world as strange people because we believe in absolute truth. We believe in a God that loves us. We believe in a God that sacrificed for us. And the world is going to look at us like you are a bunch of crazy nuts. And we are by the world standards. Now the flip side of it is we look at them and think they're crazy nuts because they're not believing God. And we know they are. And, they are. and when they stand before God, they're going to know that they are. And they're going to find out that we were not the crazy ones. But it's way too late when they're standing before God. So this man is up there and says, are you wanting to be his disciples? And it says, and they reviled him. They, they abused him. They heaped, heaped uh, our, uh, complaints and goes, are you his, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. All right, implication, Jesus isn't caring about Moses. Now, the problem is Jesus cared about Moses. Everything that Moses said that they were supposed to do, Jesus kept. Everything that didn't fit what they wanted and, and be interpreted the way they wanted, they didn't keep what Moses said. So it's very interesting that even they are not Moses' disciples. They are, Mo they are disciples of the Tanakh, all the extra laws and rules that were added to Moses. Now they would say, well, everything's based on Moses. And theoretically it was. But they were really all into these other extremes. You know, you shall not work on the Sabbath. Well, what is work? You can't lift this much. You can't walk this far. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do that. 
You know, they had defined all these things, and all the, all, the, all the rule, extra rules were what Jesus broke on purpose. He wanted to break man's traditions. And when you read the, read the gospel, sometimes you'll see that Jesus broke the tradition of the traditions, and they would say, why aren't you following tradition? You know, and I can almost picture, you never did answer that. He just kept breaking tradition. And we always have to be very careful. Are we following the word of God? Or are we following traditions? Are we following our, our, our own traditions? Because it's real easy to fall into that kind of a trap and say, well, this is what I believe and this is what I'm going to stick with. And I can't prove it by the scriptures, but this is what I believe. You know, this is what I'm following. You know, uh, something is simple in America. God helps those who help themselves. You know, there are so many, especially even Christians, that believe that that's a true statement. Got to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I've got to help, my own, help myself because if the more I do, the more God's going to do. But the sad thing is, it's exactly opposite of what God says. It says, you are crucified. I am the one that doeth, not by works of righteousness, which you have been done. You know, uh, he says, I just want you to surrender to me and I will take care of you and deal with you, it's by grace, it's by mercy, it's not by anything that you have done. And yet too many people believe that I've got to do it. You know, why am I not being successful? I haven't worked hard enough. And God's probably saying, would you just stop working and let me work through you and I'll show you what it means to be, have all these things taken care of. And I've been there, done that. You know, working and hurting and working, trying to fix something and finally say, God, I give up. And he says, about time, and he fixes it within in less than a month. And I'd been fighting on it for years. And finally just say, I give up. And God says, okay, here, fixes the problem. I think I've learned mostly to surrender to God fairly quickly these days. I, I'm definitely not planning to ever fight for a year or more. <laughs> you know, that was worthless. It was a terrible waste of time. But God says, I want to do your work. You're my servant. And the master takes care of the servant. Now, the servant works for the master, but the master is the one that feeds them, clothes them, puts the food on the table, puts them in a place to stay, takes care of their needs, and they serve the master. And that's what we're to do. Not worry about all the other stuff because God will take care of that. We serve him. This is what he's talking about with this in there. He says, we follow Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where, we don't know where he comes from. <laughs> Or where he's at. So they're going, he says, we know that God's spoken to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't know from whence he is. We know that Moses met God in the, in, at the fiery bush. We know that Moses went up onto Mount Sinai. We know that Moses talked to God. This uh, guy that you're talking about, we don't know anything about him. You know, he's, he's running circles around us and answering all of our questions that we, can't, that we think we've got him trapped, but we don't know anything about his wisdom or who's, who's talking to him or how he's doing it. Now, he seems to be pretty smart to get around everything, but we don't know anything about, we don't know if he's from God. Jesus all over the place has been saying he's from God. He and the Father are one. The, you know, all these things that they're getting ready to stone him for every time they turn around, but they don't know where he comes from. Why? Because they don't like his answers. And this is the funny thing. When you start witnessing to some people, when they don't like your answers, they will ignore everything you say. Even if you're making a great argument that cannot be defeated, they'll just, we can't defeat your argument, we'll just ignore it. 
Been there, done that, had many times of that. Uh, sorry, don't understand, don't, don't care, I'm not going to listen. You know, you need to follow Jesus. La, 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 I can't hear you. <laughs> Scribes and Pharisees, <laughs> priests doing just that. Uh, sorry, can't hear you. You're making too much sense. We can't hear you. And so we need to understand that this is what happens in this thing. And then the man in verse 30 says, The man answered and said unto him. Okay, back to, back to reading here. Let me get ahead. of The man answered and said unto him, Why therein is a marvelous thing that you know not where from whence he is, and yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God hears not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and does his will, him he hears. Since the world began, has it not, has it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered, him and, answered and said to him, You were altogether born in sin, and you teach us? And they cast him out. So he comes up, and he starts really getting into this. He goes, don't you see this marvelous thing? I was blind, now I see. What did they see? You were blind on the Sabbath, you were healed on the Sabbath. This man's a terrible sinner because he's doing things on the Sabbath. That's all they see. They do not see the marvelous gift of sight to this man. That is how hard their heart is. That's how darkened their eyes are. That when God stands in their presence and does something marvelous, all they see is what they think is wrong. We need to be very careful about that because sometimes we can get so wrapped up in what we think God wants us to do and walking in certain activities that when something doesn't fit the pattern that we think it should go in, we go, I'm not sure that that was God. Why would God do something like that? That person doesn't go to church. That person doesn't, doesn't read their Bible. How could God have used them to do anything? Well, I kind of understand that idea, but if God uses somebody, he uses somebody. He, he's sovereign. He can do what he wants. I mean, he used a donkey to speak to Balaam. You know, uh, you know, so God can use anything, anyone, anybody that he wants, including the lost. It's kind of amazing sometimes that a lost person can defend God almost better than the saved person, you know, because they'll say something like, well, you know, don't you know that God can do that? You know, and it's like, what did you just say? You're not even, you're not even, you don't even claim to be a Christian, and you just said a profound statement. And I've seen this happen more than once where somebody doesn't have any inclination to be a follower of God, and yet will say something that's so spot on to cause conviction to somebody. You know, and God can use anybody. Jesus said if the, if the people were silent, the rocks would cry out. And I think he meant literally the rocks would cry out. If these people were silent, I would get my praise and, and the Father would have these rocks crying out in praise. Now, a lot of people try to, to minimize what he said, but I really do believe that he meant what he said. If all these people were silent, they weren't doing what God said, God would use the rocks. Could he use the donkey for all we know? You know, it's... You know, it's God can use anything that he wants to use to, to minister to him. And then he goes, you know not when he comes, and yet he has opened my eyes. He goes, you don't know who he is. At this point, he's ready to go, I don't care who he's following, I'm going to follow him because he has power. All right? He's going to get a little more specific on this because he's, he's a worshiper of God, obviously. He's been blind, he's not allowed in the temple, he's probably not been allowed in the synagogue, and yet he's been taught somewhere the truths of God. 
and he understands, hey, you know, it is, you know, I don't know who he is. And then he gets very interesting. We know that God hears not sinners, but if a man be a worshiper of God and does his will, him he hears. Now, this is an interesting statement. And I've had many different teachers teach on this, saying that God does not hear people's prayers unless they're one of his, one of his followers. I don't know for sure that it goes that far, because I know he hears at least one prayer, the prayer of salvation. And it could be that he doesn't hear the other prayers, because how many times do pray, God, if you just get me out of this situation, I'll follow you the rest of my life, and they don't do it. You know, did God get him out of the situation, or did, you know, did God just allow it to happen? I don't know. I don't care. I am not sure that I believe that God does not hear prayers from the lost. For one thing, if they ever get saved, God knew they were going to get saved when certainly their prayers when they were when they're on their way to being saved. Because God's outside of time. He already knows what's going to happen. Now, if somebody's never going to follow God, I believe he probably wouldn't listen to their prayers. Totally irrelevant. You want to pray? You're not praying to anybody anyway, and you never will be praying to anybody because you're on your way to hell? Go for it. But I think because he knows that people are going to make that decision, he'll hear those prayers. He'll hear those prayers because he lives outside of time and knows where we're going to be. And that's hard for us to understand, I know, but it's you know, because he knows the future, he knows exactly what's going to happen. He treats us as if we are where we're going to be. When God looks at us, he sees us in the finished work of Christ. He sees us as perfect, even though we're nowhere close to being perfect yet and won't be perfect until we get our glorified body after we die. But God still looks at us as if we have our glorified body and that we're perfect. This is why it's such a tragedy when we start tearing ourselves down. We're not good enough. We're not this. We're not that. Because that's not how God sees us. This is why I love when we sing these songs, you know, that say, you know, when I, when I think I'm weak, you say I'm strong. When I'm falling, you're holding me. You know, when I don't think I've done enough, you're saying that I've done, you know, everything from the words you say. But all of them are the same. God sees us different than we see ourselves. If we could just learn to see ourselves the way God sees us and see other Christians the way God sees them, what would change in our life? How powerful would our walk with God be if we started treating others the way God sees them instead of looking at the faults and criticizing, building people up, edifying them, encouraging them, and saying, God's got a plan. And, I'm, and I love when I look over time and I watch people and how they've grown. And, where, and there's people that, you know, that I've been up here now for 13 years and I look at where they were 13 years ago or 10 years ago or 8 years ago and I see where they're at now. I'm going, God, you are so wonderful. And I can't wait to see what they're going to be like in another 10, 20 years from now because God is moving and changing lives and making changes and growing people. And if we could just start looking and saying, these people are, are perfect in Christ, encourage them for that in perfection. Not criticizing and not trying to tear down. Is there time for correction? Maybe. And again, what have I said about that? If you're not praying for somebody and where they're at, you have no business ever criticizing or correcting them. Because if you don't love them enough to be praying for them, you don't love them enough to be trying to criticize them. You must start with the prayer. And what I have found over the years that when I'm praying for somebody, lots of things happen. They get better for some reason without me saying a word. 
I don't start criticizing them because God is working on, working on me and I'm not going to be in, in a critical spirit toward them. And everything seems to work out better. Now, I don't know if God is changing me and my attitude or changing them or both. Might be a little bit of both. But the one thing I have learned, he changes me more than I think he changes them. And this is what's important for us. As we learn to love others the way God loves, things totally change. The way, I, the way we deal with each other, the way we look at each other, changes so completely. And it's very important for us to get to that point where we just say, this is what's going to happen. And you're going to follow, you know. And he's saying, you don't know where he's from, but I, I, he healed me. And he goes, God doesn't listen to sinners. <coughs> if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Now this is pretty bold. The blind man with no theological training, is teaching the priest and the scribes, who are the teachers. And they don't like it. They answer and said unto him, You who were altogether born in sin, do you teach us? Why did they say this? Remember at the very beginning of this chapter, what did the disciples ask that started this whole process? Jesus did this man sin or did his parents sin that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither. It's so that you would see the, see the hand of God. What is the priest and the scribes? We know that you, or at least your parents, were nothing but a bunch of sinners. Now, what a baby can do in the womb that is so terrible that they're going to need to be born blind or with a cleft palate or, or a club foot or something, I have no idea. But their attitude was, you did something. You were a terrible sinner even before you were born, and that's why you were born blind. And by the way, you're such a terrible sinner, you do not have any business teaching us. Probably because they knew what he was saying was true. He had struck a chord. He was teaching truth to them. That, hey, somebody who's a sinner does not get heard from God. Somebody who's a sinner would not be able to bring this great miracle. You may be saying he's filled with a devil and and full of trials, but hey, it, it doesn't wash. It's not washing. And they told him, you know, how dare you teach us? I don't know if you've ever found somebody who's so arrogant they cannot be taught. These were these guys. You're not going to be able to teach me anything. Uh, I've had people in my family that were like that. You know, they, they were right. Whether they were right or not didn't matter. They could be totally wrong, but they were right. And you could not give them instruction. It's a trait in many of the people in my, in, in my family. You cannot teach them. I was that way myself for a long time. I've, I've said this many times. When I graduated from Bible school, I know all the answers to every theological question there was. Then I started learning. And realized how little I actually understood. And to this day, I understand that, yes, I understand more than most people. But you know what? I don't understand much of what's in the Bible at the same time. I understand a lot, but there's a lot that I don't understand, and I have to go to God and say, I need some explanation, God. I need to help. We need to stay that humble because God is so much more uh, knowledgeable than we are. He's put so much in the Scripture that we'll never understand. And every time I think I know anything, God shows me that He's just barely scratching the surface. And I've said this many times. How omniscient is God? He knows everything. But as soon as we say he knows everything, our mind immediately goes to some limit to what is knowledge. 
And then we find out, well, no, that wasn't quite what, you know, he knows more than that. How omnipresent is God? He's everywhere present. What does that mean? What does it mean to be everywhere at the same time? You know, and immediately our brain starts putting some limit on what is, what is being present. And over the years, I've increased that. You know, in my own mind, I never thought of God being in time all at the same time because that's being omnipresent. He has to be every, pres- every time, every place. If there's multiple dimensions, as physics is talking about, he's in every one of those dimensions at the same time. If there, we have these you know, random quarks and stuff that are out there and wormholes and, you know, and spatial, he's in all of those. All right? You understand what I'm saying? You keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We start with, okay, he's everywhere. All right, he covers the whole world. Well, no, the world's not quite big enough. He covers the solar system. Well, the world's the solar system. He covers the universe. And then we go, oh, but there's time. You understand what I'm saying? We get in there. How strong is God? And we immediately think of some limit to what strong, what strong means. And we all of a sudden realize, no, that's, he's stronger than that. How much does he love us? And we put some kind of limit on that love and we realize that over time, we limited God by our, by our minds. Our minds are finite. We cannot in our minds comprehend infinity. I know that infinity has no end and yet my mind will automatically go to some number, <clears throat> usually a big number, to cover knowledge and, and infinity, but it's still a finite number because we are finite. We think in finite terms and God is infinite. Infinite love, infinite um, uh, presence everywhere, infinite strength, infinite knowledge. You know, when we cannot even truly comprehend it. We can get some glimpse of it and we can make it larger and larger and larger, but we still, because of our finite mind, will put some limit on it. And that's the scary thing because we as human beings want to limit God in some way. Not on purpose, but it's just who we are trying to figure things out. I cannot grasp infinity so I give, maybe give a big number, but I still can't grasp the, inf- the idea of infinity. And I love mathematics. We've tried to explain it. You know, it's been explained to me and I've tried to explain it to others and you cannot explain infinity. Because somebody will automatically say, well, do you mean that it's an undecillion number? No, it's bigger than that. What? 20, uh, 52 zeros after the, after the one. <laughs> That's about the biggest number I know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's the idea. How big, you know, we can comprehend is still too small. You'd have to raise that to that power and you're still too small. All right. Uh, and this is where he's at. He goes, you're not really understanding. And they kick him out of the temple. You know, he's praising God. He's, he's, he's looking for Jesus. And he gets kicked out of the temple for his wanting to follow God. Not uncommon to be kicked out when you're, when you're making people feel uncomfortable because you're following God. You know, and it's happened over and over. There are a lot of churches where you'll get kicked out of, you know, because they're not wanting to follow God. And they just want to follow a bunch of traditions. And you start talking about God, and it makes people nervous. It makes people very nervous when you start talking about God. And they might, you know, America, they don't usually kick you out, but you could be kicked out of some churches. Now, you don't belong here, get. 
And um, I love excited people about God. They're fun to be around. They're fun to be around. You know, sometimes they're challenging. I love new Christians who are excited about God because they may challenge me and everything, but you know what? It makes me realize how complacent I have gotten over time sometimes. You know, I can remember when I used to be extremely excited about God. When I was first saved, I was super, super excited. And I still love God, but my, my love for God has been matured a little bit. But it also, that maturity sometimes takes the form of not stepping out like I should as well. When you're first saved, you're telling everybody and making all kinds of stupid statements and, you know, I love you so much, you're going to go to hell, you know, get saved, you know, I don't want you to go to hell, you know, and you have the right gratitude, but the way you deliver it is not great. Then we learn how to deliver it and forget to deliver. You know, uh, you know and we need to be careful because it really is true. That excitement needs to be there. And this is why I love about new Christians because it gets you that spark of excitement, you know, and they're going, man, have I lost some of that excitement? If I need to get some of that back? That's why I love being around new Christians and excited Christians. They may not know all the answers. They may not know what they're talking about half the time, but they're excited. They want to put God forward. All right, last couple verses. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they cast him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, You have both seen him, and he, it is he that talks with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Then Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words, and they said, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains." So we're going to look at this. Jesus found this man. Somehow he heard that he had been cast out of the temple. Uh, and he finds him. He says, do you believe in the Son of God? Now I think at this point in time, he recognizes the voice. Doesn't know who Jesus is talking about, about the Son of Man, or Son of God. Because, do you believe in the Son of God? Now this statement to a Jewish person is a hard statement. God has no children, is what they were understanding. You know, he does not have children, and yet Jesus will tell them later on, God said that you are all gods. You know, you are all part of his family. Not God in the, in the whole term, but you are of his family. And he says, and the, this man says, who is he? <laughs> who is he that I might believe on him? And this is where I'm pretty sure he recognizes the voice of Jesus. This is the man that made me see if he wants to say, I need to believe on the Son of Man, a Son of God, just tell me who he is. This is the disciple's answer. All right? Tell me who it is that you're talking about, and I'll follow him. When you are the disciple, you listen to the teacher and obey, even if it makes no sense to you. This is what it means to be a disciple, a follower of somebody or something. And he's saying, I don't know who you're talking about, but tell me who he is and I'll be more than happy to, to follow him because you're the, one, you're the one that prayed to give me sight, so you're, you're the one I'm going to follow. Just tell me, tell me who he is. I love this answer. He is so simple in his answer. Just tell me who it is and, I'm, and, I, will, and I will believe. And Jesus said, you have both seen him and it is he that talks with you. In other words, you're looking at him. You're looking at the Son of God. 
And his response is simple. He says, and he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And again, in the New Testament, when it's talking about Jesus Christ, when it says believe, it is not just, I, I see something, so I believe it's there. I believe there's a fire over there. I believe there's a furnace over there. All right, wonderful. What does that mean? All right, uh, it is being persuaded of. I am persuaded that you are speaking the truth. Absolute persuasion. There is not a person in, in this world or even in the principalities that can convince me that I am not saved and belonging to Jesus Christ because I accepted him when I was 10 years old and I have been his follower ever since. And I know that he lives in me and there's nothing that can persuade me that I'm not because I am persuaded that he is who he says he is and that I am his. And this is what this man says. You, you're, the, you're the son of God, I believe. You, you healed me? <laughs> you want to say you're the son of God? I, you know, they're trying to tell me you're a sinner? I'm going to believe that what you say is true. I am persuaded. Paul said it. I am persuaded that neither life nor death can separate me. You know, good or bad, principalities or angels, nothing can persuade, can separate us from the love of God. Do we truly believe that statement? That God loves us and nothing can separate us from him because he holds on to us. And I love that, I love the scripture. Jesus says, I'm holding on to you and I'm in the Father's hands. You know, and there are people that say, well, if you really don't want to be saved, you can just jump out of Jesus' hands. Well, number one, that's a stupid idea. But number two, you jump out of Jesus' hand, you're going to land in the Father's hand. And you're not jumping out of his hand because it's too big. It holds the whole universe, so you're not jumping out of his hand. But the whole idea that, you know, that you can lose your salvation is so dumb. And that's the one that, well, you can choose not to. You chose to follow him, you can choose not to follow him. Well, number one, that's just it. Number one, you didn't choose to follow him. He chose you, and you just responded to his choice. And once he has you, he's not letting go because he's given you eternal life. And last time I looked, eternal means eternal. It doesn't mean it's eternal until I decide not to do it. It's not eternal until God decides not to do it, who would be the only other one who could do it. It is eternal. It is to the end of time and beyond. To the end of no time. Because there's no time to be ending of. It's eternal. It's everlasting. You know, and this is the beauty of it. And people will go, well, that just means you can go do what you want. I'm going, no, if you want to do whatever you want, you weren't his to begin with. If you think you can go out and just sin for the sake of sinning, because you have eternal life, you weren't his to begin with, and you, don't have etern- you never had eternal life. You didn't lose the eternal life. You never had it. You might have been the seed that sprouted up amongst the rocks or the seed that sprouted up amongst the weeds and was choked out and never produced and were not saved. And that's where, where it all, but he believed in and worshiped him. And this is a real key statement. He worshipped Jesus and Jesus accepted his worship. Right? That was something a Jew would never do. Worship a man. If you remember the story in Esther, Mordecai would not even bow because of God. And it happened in many places. They would not bow 
in worship to, a, to other kings because they would, God was the only one to be worshipped. And so we look at this over and over again, and he worships, Jesus said, and Jesus said something very interesting, for judgment I came into this world that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. In this particular case, he's talking more than physical sight. He's also talking about that spiritual sight. You are following, you were blind to spiritual things, now you see spiritual things. And probably looking again at the scribes and Pharisees and saying, and you that think you can see, you're blind. You are blind. How many times are people blind and not seeing? They see a miracle and think it's a coincidence. They see a miracle and don't understand what's going on. One of the things I, I like about Christian movies are they show the, the miracles around us all the time from a Christian perspective and people go, well, that's so unreal. Those things never happen. And I'm going, you know what? I see those little miracles all the time. God providing just what I need when I need it in the right amount so that I can pay a bill. God bringing the right person into my life to fix something that I didn't know how I was going to fix. You know, God doing little things, the little miracles that they just are totally blinded to. God does them all the time when our eyes are open and we see them. You know, just the difference between it. How we as Christians see the world as opposed to the way the world sees things. You know, and I hear it all the time when bad things seem to be happening. I kind of get excited. Like, yeah, what, you, what, what good is going to come out of this? And then everybody around me is going, well, man, just another bad thing happening. I just don't understand this. The world is so terrible. And then when the good does come, they don't see the good because they're so blind that they, didn't ever, they weren't looking for it in the first place. This is what Jesus said. I came to bring sight to the blind and the blind, those who think they see are going to be blind. And the, and the Pharisees understood this in verse 40. And some of the Pharisees which were with him said, Are we blind also? Uh, are you talking about us? You're saying that we're blind? We see what's going on, and you're trying to say that we're blind. They caught what he said. They very clearly caught what, the, what he was saying. And Jesus said, if you were blind, you should have no sin. If you were totally blind to spiritual things, you would not understand sin. All right? Uh, but now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. He goes, Technically, he's saying they are blind. <laughs> but he's saying, if you were blind, you wouldn't understand your sin. And I've met many people who just don't understand their sin because they're so tied into the world and not the spiritual things. And this is why when we're witnessing to people, our job isn't to criticize what they're doing. Because I've been asked so many times over the years, I did a, did a study one time, question, and the first question was, well, how do you convince a homosexual that they're sinning? And my answer was, who cares? Do I believe that homosexuality is sin? Absolutely. But am I going to try to convince a homosexual who does not believe that their actions are sin, that, that they're sinning? No. What will I convince them of? Well, have you ever told a lie? Everybody knows a lie is wrong. Have you ever stolen anything in your life? Deal with the stuff that they know is a sin rather than trying to argue with them on things they don't, that they're blind about. 
Now, if they have spiritual knowledge, now they're doubly guilty. The Pharisees were doubly guilty. They knew God's laws, even though they weren't applying them to everything, which meant they were doubly guilty. You know, those who are blind, they can go, well, I didn't know that that was wrong. How many things in our own life as we've grown with God do we all of a sudden realize that I've been doing this for years and all, whoa, I shouldn't be doing this. God just, God just hit me with a two by four and said, I'm not supposed to do this. I've been following him 52 years, you know, and I've all, you know, and over time I'm going, oops, I used to do this, I can't do that. I used to do this, I can't do this. Eyes open and like, oh, I've got to correct things in my life now. And it's little things. Yeah. How God changes our language, how we think. What did we think was funny? And now we don't think is funny. You know, there are so many shows on TV from, and my wife watches good channels, Cozy and, and Me TV from the old days, and I look at that and I'm going, that's not even funny. What they said that was supposed to draw a laugh isn't even funny because it's against God. And yet I know that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I probably would have laughed along with everybody else about it and thought that it was cute and funny. And I'm not trying to condemn anybody who's not there, but God changes us just like Sarah said, you know, there's little things all of a sudden we realize, wow, that bothers me. It never bothered me before, but now it bothers me to, to see or hear or, or have this you said. And then we see our kids doing what we used to think was okay, and it's like, oh, no, I led them the wrong way. But this is what he's saying here. I'm going to give sight to the blind. They're going to start seeing things, and those who are blind are going to continue doing what they know is wrong without following it. So he really did call them blind. You know, he really was calling them blind in this. But for us, are we ready to walk in God and follow what, where he's leading? no matter what. Are we truly his disciple? Saying, God, I am going to follow you even when it doesn't make sense, even when I don't fully understand it. I want to follow you because I am your disciple. You are the, mas you are the master telling me what to do and how to do it. And that is what it means to truly be making him Lord. Doing what he wants, even if we don't understand it because he's Lord. And it gets hard. And I'll be the first to admit that it's hard sometimes. You know, God, I just don't understand. You want me to do what? And he's going, just do it. And when I'm obedient, it works out in the long run. But, you know, it's sometimes very hard to be obedient. And we just need to learn that he's disciple, that we're his disciple. He is the Lord. And just make the commitment that, God, I'm going to follow you no matter what I think, because you know just a little bit more than I do. Now, that's the most key point, because sometimes we get pretty arrogant, you know, thinking that we know more than God. 
And I've even heard people, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a long discussion with God for what he did. And I'm going, you are nuts. <laughs> you know, you are nuts. You're, number one, you're not going to care when you get to heaven, but, you know, if you get to heaven. But you're definitely not going to sit there and try to instruct God when you're standing in front of his and you feel his whole presence. Because when I feel his presence, I don't feel anything but my inadequacy when I feel his presence. I feel his love, but I also realize that I don't deserve any of that love. I don't deserve anything. And I'm just looking for serving him. And this man is standing before him saying, I'm yours. Tell me what you want done. And, you know, some people go, well, of course, he, just, he was just healed of blindness. Of course he's going to do that. Well, he's still a human being. And how many times did the children of Israel see great miracles and still not trust God? They trusted him for a little while. They got excited in the miracle and then forgot him. Now, we don't know what happens to this man after this, this chapter because we don't hear about him. But for, at, the, at this point in his life, he is fully following him and ready to go. And we don't know where he went from there because one of those places where we don't know the rest of the story. Yeah, and I've said this before. When A lot of people will say, when I get to heaven, I want to talk to Peter and Paul and, and all these guys. You know the ones I want to talk to? I want to talk to the blind man. I want to talk to the woman who gave her two pennies to the, that Jesus said she gave more than everybody else. I want to know the rest of the story. I want to know what happened to her after she gave all that she had. Because I don't believe she died. I don't believe she died of hunger after giving all that she had. I believe that God blessed her in some way. I just hope I can remember all that when I'm up in heaven. <laughs> well, you'll remember a lot more in heaven than you do here. <laughs> all right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, help us to learn to trust you completely. Help us to learn to see you clearly and to see each other the way you see us and ourselves the way you see us. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church P.O. Box 65 Chloride, Arizona 86431 Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.